the three rockets have taken off from the deserted and tragically wasted planet that Jimbird Flyflower had discovered, and thought particularly interesting because of its size and its brightness. It had proved to be abandoned, its natural resources wasted, and its whole environment polluted, almost to the point of non-redemption. But the gypsies found one abandoned baby, a boy of about three months old, who was named, or named himself, Oogle Gloop, and whom they took on board, having first stocked up with such things as baby food, nappies and whatnot, from the deserted shops in the city. They blasted off, but that was not the end of their problems. Oogle Gloop, cried he of that name. Turning from the pilot's seat, Dolan observed that the baby's feeding bottle, no longer subject to the forces of gravity, had escaped the child's grip and was now floating towards the ceiling of the cabin. Oh, heck, said Dolan, climbing from the seat and launching into the weightlessness of the cabin, much to the other's amusement. Dolan floated upwards and by means of propelling the body with the assistance of various handrails, managed to secure the bottle and return it to its owner. shouted the baby happily and immediately released the bottle once again sighing loudly to the accompaniment of laughter from the other members of the crew Dolan once again retrieved the bottle and muttering this has got to stop Dolan devised without much effort a recovery device consisting simply of a piece of string about 18 inches long one end of which was tied around Oogle Gloop's wrist and the other to the neck of the bottle. When the rusks started floating around the cabin too, Dolan gave up and returned to the pilot's seat. Glancing up at the telescreen, Dolan saw the most amazing thing, and a familiar one too. It was King Waldo, who'd rescued them all from the icy clutches of the dreadful Queen Arachna. His huge, grinning face filled the entire telescreen, and apparently, he could see them. Although Jimbird Flyflower, a most knowledgeable scientist, might have doubted it. So, here you are, my good friends, roared King Waldo, to deafening effect. And forsaking all tardiness, you're as welcome as the darling buds of May. Welcome to where? said the ever-practical Dolan. Well now, do you not recall that I gave you all an open invitation to my planet when I saved you from old Freezy Bum? (laughs) Sorry, Queen Arachna. And now your three splendid spaceships are within a sparrow's squeak of my lovely, warm, happy planet. And you shall be my guests. What the blazes be you doing out in space, just staring in at us like that? Don't you need oxygen and stuff like that? said Jimbird. It seems that I can get along quite nicely, thank you, without such frills and fancies. I simply survive on my natural exuberance. And now if you'll be so good as to follow me, I guarantee you one heck of a good time. And the strange King Waldo, in his red and yellow Harlequin's outfit, simply swung off into space, towards a red and hospitable-looking planet that hung not far below them. Jimbird Flyflower was muttering to himself, 
Frills and fences. Hmm. Such tart goes against the basic precepts of uh, physics. We'd better have a bit of a chat with him when he gets the chance. And the three spacecraft landed gracefully on the planet of King Waldo. And one heck of a good time is exactly what they had. For King Waldo's planet seemed dedicated entirely to the notion that a happy person is a peaceful person. There were continents, there were countries, there were different languages, but there were no wars. King Waldo, who was evidently not just the king of a single country, but the benign ruler of the entire planet, had, from knowledge learned from various history books, divined that wars were started by politicians and not by the common man, who was so often equipped with a gun and instructed by said politicians to go and kill the filthy foreigners. And so had deliberately placed the most fractious of his planet's politicians in a kind of boxing ring and instructed them to settle their differences there and then. The outcome? No fractious politicians, no soldiers with guns, and a happy, peaceful planet. King Waldo was nobody's fool. And a party was going on. It seemed to have been going on for a very long time. No one was drunk, which is the way of parties on Earth, but everyone was extremely friendly. And again, this friendliness did not overstep the bounds of decency. It just appeared that all there enjoyed each other's company. Which, when you come to look at it, is the best way to run a party. It's a bit of a fairy tale world, said Jimbird to the gypsies. Rather like them fizzy drinks adverts you see on TV. But don't you think, things being what they are, that the world, ours that is, would be just that little bit better for a touch of fun, for its own sake? But I'm neglecting you, my friends, cried King Waldo. Come, and I shall introduce you to the throng, or some of them at least. Some of them, at least, turned out to be a little strange, though indubitably friendly. Dolan, for instance, was introduced to a most vivacious lady who had the most amazing yellow eyes and long flowing locks of bright green hair. But, darling, she exuded, you look so young to be the pilot of a, a, a space thing, whatever they call them. Spaceship, put in Jimbird coming to Dolan's dumbfounded help. And I taught Dolan everything this child knows. How very clever of you, said the lady. But why have you only got one leg, one arm, one eye, and yeah, etc.? Tis a longish story, and a boring one, said Jimbird. Excuse me half a minute. And he stumped off grumpily in search of a drink. All he got, of course, was fruit juice. Farewell he said as he swallowed. Don't drink and fly spaceships. Tis a well-known saying in the galaxies. Farther out had been introduced by King Waldo to a person who could best be described as an elder. He was completely bald, wore no beard, was dressed in, of course, a long flowing white robe, had an unremittingly benign expression on his face and called everyone my son. Even the ladies... I perceive that you're a man of the cloth, my son, he observed, not entirely acutely. 
Tis so indeed, your grace, your honor, your magnitude. Um, Begab. The exalted one waved his hand in a gesture that could have been interpreted as forgiveness, magnanimity, indulgence, or whatever the victim chose to read into it. Well, I was until a short while ago, although I still wear me vestments. I was actually defrocked by me bishop over a small matter regarding the whereabouts of a few bottles of the altar wine. It was nothing serious, but his grace saw fit to give me the order at the boot. These things are sent to try us, my son, platituded the elder. Right now, said Father Out, setting himself as for a deep intellectual discussion. You believe in God, right? You being an elder and all of that. Well, can you tell me this? Why, he said, pointing a finger upwards, before realising the foolishness of such a gesture. Why, get our Heavenly Father, dream up such things as the black death, the wars, your cancer, and growing toenails, dental decay, and the like. If he so loved us, as the good book says, why couldn't he spare us them filthy things? Well, it would take a far better mind than yours or mine to answer such questions, my son, pronounced the elder, as if in wisdom. I thought that's what you'd say, said Father Out crossly, as he left the presence. Fifty million loiters from the earth, and you gets the same sidestepping answers. And he went and helped himself to a soothing draught of fruit juice. So the party was going along splendidly. Oogle Gloop was being doted on by a crowd of admiring ladies, not surprisingly for, although but three months old, he was quite a handsome little chap, and things generally were proceeding at a satisfactory pace, when, suddenly, bursting out of the clear blue sky and frightening the happy revellers, came six dusty black spaceships, belching smoke from their engines. They landed swiftly in the midst of the party and surprised everyone. Billy, the telephone freak Perkins, had been discussing intergalactic communications with a child of similar interests. Ivan had been lecturing an adoring circle of young ladies on the niceties of guitar playing. Crispin Lob Mincing had been holding forth to no one in particular about the complexities of space navigation, whilst Alistair Truefit Mackenzie had been doing the same to considerably more effect to a most attentive young lady, clad entirely in black. Festy Snarkbuster was, as was his wont, surrounded by and playing with a host of children. The spaceships cooled down with that strange crackling sound, which is made only by hot metal as it decreases in temperature. Then the doors burst open, and the gypsies were surprised to recognise once again the Zircos. Every one of them had a gun in their hand, and leading them was that old enemy of the gypsies, Taras. Taras.